This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for listening in today. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Today, we are featuring the organization called No Dogs Left Behind, a United States-based nonprofit organization operating on the ground in East Asia, fighting on the front lines to end the reckless slaughtering of all animals. So we have two special guests today that are doing an amazing thing. We have Vice President and CEO of USA Operations, Jackie Finnegan and founder Jeffrey Berry, who is heading the opening of the Toronto location. So now the concern is that the U.S.-based organizations are facing an indefinite suspension of the importation of dogs in the U.S. from 113 countries by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So when we get back from these messages, we will be talking with Jackie and Jeffrey about their mission and their plans to address this ban. Uh, and their insights on what other organizations should consider. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Jackie Finnegan and Jeffrey Berry from the organization No Dogs Left Behind. Thank you for talking with me today and most importantly for the hard work you guys do in East Asia probably one of the most difficult missions of rescuing dogs in my opinion and jeffrey i read your story on your website and i just commend you for the scale of rescue mission you've done over there so could you highlight what was it about the situation there that made you commit to it well uh, first it's uh, a pleasure and honor to be on your show um i believe that uh, it's it's all of our fiduciary responsibility to uh, focus on sustainability and that really mm-hmm was the start of my mission. And um, I love dogs. I love dogs more than any other. I love all animals. And there was just so much going on in East Asia and so much reckless slaughtering of animals in East Asia and all around the world for that matter. I felt it was a responsibility um, to take it upon myself and go see and fight the fight in the front lines in ending what is called the dog meat trade. Um, Uh. And that's what we do. We fight the fight on the front lines to end the dog meat trade, to end a festival called Yulin. But the bigger picture is we're fighting for global animal welfare laws. Yes. Global animal welfare laws are in order now. You know, the world has been brought to its knees by this global pandemic. And that stems from reckless slaughtering of animals. 
Wow. Yeah, that is a heavy, heavy environment. I don't know too many people that do it. So <laughs> thank you for, for being able to do that. Now, you guys have a very thorough approach to rescue called the five pillars. Can one of you guys touch upon that or both of you guys? Well, I'll take the first part, which is why I'm on the front lines. The emergency response is our forte. And okay. what we do is, so there's five pillars of success. Emergency response, shelter mm -hmm. management protocols, the second pillar. The third is educational awareness. The fourth is legislations of law. And the most fun and why we're here is getting these survivors that were destined for slaughter into their forever loving homes. So while we're rescuing dogs, while rescuing is important, getting them into their homes is the final stage. And the first stage of emergency response of what we do is we gather intel, intel of the reckless slaughtering of animals. We work with maybe 10,000 activists across East Asia. Um, we gather intel of some reckless slaughtering. We gather a cohesive team of volunteers. We essentially, almost like you would see in the movies, we surround the facility. Oh, wow. And then we, <laughs> we bring in police. We bring in government officials. We bring in the mayors, the villagers, and we issue a shutdown. We call for a shutdown, demanding the release of the survivors to halt and stop slaughtering the dogs. We are essentially shutting dog uh, meat trade survivors uh, dog meat slaughterhouse is down and the negotiations start. We demand they provide proof of purchase. Now, mind you, we've been following them and gathering intel and evidence of them stealing dogs from the streets. Many of these dogs are stolen from homes. Many of these dogs are stolen from the streets. Many of these dogs picked up from the streets. And also people, there are people who sell their dogs also to the butchers as well. So, but the majority of the time, 99% of the time, they can't provide the documentation with proof of purchase, nor can they find, provide any health certificates. Therefore, we're able to negotiate the release of the dogs. Same thing with dog meat trucks. We will locate a truck. There will be a series of activists will gather. We'll follow the truck for as long as oh, we wow. need to follow the truck until we have enough and have volunteers. We'll surround the truck and we'll cut the truck off. And then the same process happens. At the same time, you have the traffickers, and these traffickers are like the cartel. We're essentially taking away their inventory. So it, sometimes it becomes a very heated, heated situation. But oh, um, we, we have been very successful in saving, you know, tens of thousands of lives, whether it be directly through our direct uh, shutdowns or associated with our strategic alliances throughout China. So that's the first pillar of success. Jackie, why don't you take the second one, which is shelter management protocol? You might be better at that since you're there in China, but we do have strict protocols on the health and the care of the dogs once they come into our facility. So they are all vaccinated. They're all treated for any emergency conditions that they may have. They're sterilized and then they're brought to one of our facilities. We've got three locations throughout East Asia uh, where we give them uh, sanctuary there. We keep them on a vegetarian diet. We convert them to a vegetarian diet. And we have people who work with them. They all get park and play time. Um, I believe it's at least twice a day. Twice um, a day, yeah. 
Yeah. And then, you know, our workers there work with them on getting the dogs to trust humans again. So some are not as scared as others, but the ones who are scared, we work with them, we leash train them and we, you know, try to, you know, match them up with a, with a forever adopter that will be able to finish their, you know, actually finish the rescue for each individual dog. Very well said. It's exactly how, how Jackie said it. Um, Jackie hasn't had the opportunity to come to China, but it's almost as if she lives there because um, she is with me, you know, constantly on the phone and constantly monitoring through surveillance cameras and monitoring all the videos. And Jackie is like, she, uh, I'm going to rename her like Hawkeyes because (laughs) she can see what none of us can see. She points it out to me. And, you know, it's what we need. It's a team effort. We call ourselves the yin and yang. I'm the yang and she's the yang. You know, we both are an incredible team together. Obviously, you know, when you're watching lives be slaughtered, when you're seeing and experiencing what I experience, and Jackie needs to hear me and be there for me. She's, you know, living it vicariously through me. Yes. You know, it's very difficult and it becomes very trying on your soul. And, you know, it's, it takes a toll on your mm-hmm. life. But the second pillar to success shelter management protocol is extremely important because these dogs are beaten and tortured. And yeah, we, now take, we need to take them. Picture your dog being pulled from the house. It being beaten and tortured, sometimes for days, sometimes for months, sometimes for a year, because they don't normally always get out of the slaughter pens because sometimes they're, they're kept there for breeding and tied right. to breeding poles. I mean, the behavior is just, it's just outrageous. So, you know, how long does it take for one to rehabilitate after being, you know, a human raped, beaten and tortured? How long yes. does it take to trust again? Yeah. You know? So, you know, the shelter management protocol part is extremely important. We take pride in being as efficient as we possibly can be to get the dogs to trust again, to get their well-beings to, as Jackie mentioned, sterilize vaccinated, you know, the monthly treatments of deworming flea tick is an extremely costly component of for no dogs left behind, but it very much needed in preparation for them to be adopted. Wow. You guys run a tight ship. Yeah, no, we, we really do run a tight ship. Um, mm-hmm. the, the third pillar to success is educational awareness. Any chance I get, I can get, I tour China and educate the young. And prior to COVID, no dogs left behind had a pretty intense educational awareness program where students from the Animal Agricultural College of China would come on weekends to volunteer working with the dogs to learn Western medicine, Western treatment, learn a little bit more about shelter management protocols and also animal welfare. And I go around also teaching kids when I get a chance, bringing a dog to a school or bringing the school to the dogs. Some Many of these kids never touched a dog before. Because they grew up thinking that the dog has right. rabies, the dog has distemper, or the dog's ferocious. And, you know, they're, they're crying at first because they're scared. And then they're leaving saying, saying I don't want to go. And, you know, and the parents saying, thank you so much. My child was always so petrified of dogs and now wants a dog. You know, I mean, that's change. And we believe that the young are the future. The older generation is kind of set in their ways for sustainability. Yes. And it's our job to educate the young and to uh, work together for a sustainable movement. That is the third pillar. Um, The fourth pillar, what Jackie has been incredible excelling in amongst many other things is things like the CDC ban and 
legislation is yeah. of law, you know, Gover- um, government advocacy. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to say this for the record and on the record, we will empty every cage. Not we, not we, meaning our yes. dogs up behind, but all of us, yeah. us rescues together. We are putting so much pressure on global governments to enforce animal welfare laws, which essentially will save millions upon millions of animals. As I mentioned earlier, every country needs, every government needs to be responsible for the reckless slaughtering of animals and stop it and fight to legislate laws or else the next pandemic is going to be right behind. And nobody can deny that. Nobody can dispute it or refute it. Um, so the legislations of global animal welfare laws are a huge initiative for us and something that um, I hope Jackie and I can combat, you know, face to face with government officials and provide them with the information that they need in order to make that happen. I would like Jackie to touch base on the CDC ban. Jackie has been working firsthand with the coalition, organizing the coalition and providing factual information that we hope that, you know, in the near future can possibly overturn this ban. So Jackie, maybe you want to touch base on that? Sure. Yeah. And I did want to say one other thing before I get into the CDC, but we do see change starting to happen. So when you look at Indonesia and you look at South Korea, two big dog meat countries who have taken a stance against it. So the, 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 the the momentum is there. So we're just trying to keep the pressure on. And and part of the educational component is educating the young and the culture there in East Asia, but also making citizens throughout the entire world aware of the practice and and putting global pressure on these countries to let it to let them know that it's not acceptable. So um, so, so that's sort of how the government advocacy and the education sort of ties in. And then with the with the CDC, that's something we didn't think we were going to have to (laughs) incorporate into our, you know, our our government advocacy, but it sort of hit us out of nowhere, um, impacted hundreds of international rescues, large and small. We're fortunate that we're larger, and we had the ability and the the adopters, the supporters, the donators to help us as we sort of tried to navigate this. In June, the CDC announced its intent to ban the importation of dogs from 113 countries. And we had we had 30 days notice. So we, it, our foundation- But why did that even start though? We don't know. I, I, I think what ultimately it, it comes down to is um, they had finite resources. So they didn't have, so oh. there were dogs coming in and they just didn't have the staff to deal with, you know, checking the dogs at the borders. So, um, you know, th- they said it was about rabies, but there were no documented cases of rabies. Th- there had been a, several years ago from a couple of dogs that ke- came over from Egypt. They implemented a ban with respect to dogs coming from Egypt. And since they implemented that ban, there had not been any cases of, of rabies. Um, when they announced the ban and, and they crafted it uh, beautifully, I mean, it, it's legally soundproof, uh, you know, what they did. Mm. But um, as soon as they announced it, it was, it was very unfortunate because a, a dog did come over from another country, uh, not Egypt, that did end up testing positive for rabies. So that sort of help them put their, you know, their heels in the sand and stay put and, and, and their decision. Um, I do think ultimately they will, um, they will open up the borders, but I think we're looking at two to three years. We know that the, the CDC hasn't met with any, any rescues. Um, we do know that they are in the process of, um, proposed rulemaking. They're going to propose a rule for the importation of dogs. We expect to see that proposed rule probably early spring, right around the time that this 
this, uh, which would mark the the one year point for this current uh, import ban. Um, but the way that it works in the United States is they they publish it. Um, all affected citizens have 60 days to write in any comments um, or questions, and then the CDC has unlimited amount of time to respond to all of those questions and comments. So, and then and then they ultimately issue a final rule. So, you know, it it's very conceivable that it could be two to three years out before that we see any change. They are tinkering with it a little bit. So, like people who, um, like over the summer, may have gone over to another country to teach, for example, and took their dogs with them for the summer, they were also impacted by this ban. Um, oh. I mean, all, all sorts of people, diplomats, everybody was was uh, impacted by it. We have seen the CDC sort of take steps back from that. And now they've changed it so that if your dog had a rabies vaccine in the United States by a United States veterinarian, this ban doesn't impact them regardless of what, what country they've been in. So we've seen them sort of scaling back a little bit, but with respect to rescues, there's been nothing that has um, that has really helped us at all. So um, it's sort of just you know waiting, continuing to put pressure on the CDC, being mm-hmm. respectful and trying to get them to engage with us. But ultimately, I think it's going to be when we address the rulemaking process and submitting comments. So right. Right. When this came out, I think there was sort of this sense like, well, they, you know, maybe this won't last forever. Maybe we can push them and, and, and they'll change the rules. We were fortunate that we, we put together a team from the very beginning and we, you know, looked for property in Canada. I mean, we, we, it was a full blown mm-hmm. team looking for this. Now, before actually, that's what I wanted to get into next. But before we get into that, we're just going to have a quick break. And then oh, when sure. we get yeah. back, We'll continue talking with Jackie and Jeffrey from the organization No Dogs Left Behind. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking about the organization No Dogs Left Behind with CEO Jackie Finnegan and founder Jeffrey Berry, who helped keep it running. Jack, you gave us so much information about the ban, and I just never realized to what extent it's been. So it's not only humans that have bans for traveling, but since that ban, right. I'm sure all the organizations are just kind of scrambling to figure out what to do. I mean, there right. are exemption permits which will be probably really hard to get. And there's very limited ports entry. And you did mention before the break that there's two to three years before anything changes. Well, that's, yeah, that's what we expect. Yeah, that, that we expect it to be about that long. So, you know, dogs that come in to, so say, for example, Canada or Mexico yes. or a country that's not deemed a high-risk country, 
If they yeah. stay in those countries for six months, they are then legally allowed to come into the United States once they oh. have been in a non-rabies place. So it's not like they can never come over, but they right. do have to stay somewhere else for six months. So you know, we secured a sanctuary so that we can have our dogs there. We're also working on a whole foster network. Um, but it is, but it, you know, uh, you know, like I said, in, in the last piece, like we had, there's over a hundred different international rescues. Many of them are very small. And I have heard firsthand from some of these rescues, several that, that they just have to get out of the rescue business because it's, oh it's just too goodness. costly to have to move their dogs and keep them. And, and it's very hard to find fosters who will commit to a six month commitment. It's a really long time and it's very hard not to get attached to these, to these animals. So it has been an unbelievable challenge and extremely costly. Um, and we're extremely grateful that we've been able to secure a location and the Canadians have been overwhelmingly supportive and generous. And we are just so happy to be in Canada and, uh, you know, putting a flag there now and establishing a sanctuary. This is our first sanctuary outside of, outside of China. So it's very <laughs> exciting for the foundation. Wow. Yeah, that's a good move. To further uh, Jackie's comment about Canada, honestly, I want to become a Canadian resident. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love it here. The people are overwhelmingly nice. I've met so many people here that are have been so gracious in so many different ways. It's beautiful. Honestly, I love it here. I love the location. I love the people. And we couldn't be happier to be here in Toronto and be here in Canada. And we feel like the foundation being here I must have 20 or 25 people that are looking to come and spend a week or a month here working with No Dogs Left Behind. But also, there are so many great attractions here. You know, it's a, whether it be skiing, hiking, we're in, like literally in a nature preserve. So the moons are all aligned and everything happens for a reason. I do feel bad for the other rescues and we are reaching out and providing the support that we can to give them so that they don't fold whoever that we, whoever that reaches out and wants to. Um, our doors are open. It's not just for no dogs left behind, but we're looking to support other rescues as well. That's awesome. That's awesome that you have the bandwidth for that. We do. We're, we're, very, we're very fortunate. Yes, yes. Where are you guys in the city exactly? Or outside the city, I should say. Scarborough. Can Scar you? Scarborough. It's near the zoo. It's right near the zoo. Oh, okay, okay. We are literally right near the zoo. It's a complete nature reserve. Um, there was just a snowstorm the other four days ago. And we had 15 volunteers and we were out on a hike with all the dogs. You know, I mean, everybody grabbed a dog and we went for a hike. Through. I mean, it's just really incredibly oh my beautiful. I am so I'm in. I'm going to go visit. <laughs> I'm signing you up. Please do. <laughs> yeah. The last pillar to success, uh, not to take you off. I'm, uh, Jackie, are you, do you have any more comments? My only one comment is, you know, to further to the CDC ban is the way that they handled this. Yes. was so incredibly disappointing. Uh, we, as an international rescue, leading the march and shutting down the dog meat trade in East Asia, we have extensive experience on how this needs to happen where they don't create a black market, which essentially they are doing, okay? And there are ways to do this where they didn't have to shut the border down and essentially, as Jackie was saying, putting other rescues out of business, issuing death sentences to dogs because now those dogs can't be saved. Right. Right. They should have come to us and exactly. sat down and said, hey, listen, we're going to do this. Do you have any 
feedback or mm-hmm. can you work with us in a solution? And working together with a solution is really what we should be striving for. Yeah. Okay. Globally. So that's my only words to end that, that part of the CDC. It's incredibly disappointing. And, and I, I hope that, you know, down the road, they do come to us and sit down with us and say, Hey, listen, you know, we need to sit down and we want to, you know, learn, g- gather your thoughts and see how you, we can all work together. If I can just take two seconds just to explain about that, if the real cause or the concern of the CDC is rabies, there's a very easy way to solve for that. And that's a rabies titer. Um, And so and all of our dogs have rabies titers. So and that shows immunity to rabies. So that's the first thing. And then to explain about the the black market, I just want to make sure that people who are listening can understand this. What happens when you close the border down where there's a demand for dogs and there's bad actors they will move those dogs into the country, but they'll do it under the radar and they won't do it by legal means. So then in, in that situation, the U.S. government doesn't have its sights on the dogs at all. They're not even on, on their radar. So dogs are going to be coming in, you know, presumably, and they don't even know where the dogs came from. So your risk of bringing in sick dogs or dogs with zoonotic diseases skyrockets. You don't even know what you're looking for because they're coming in under the radar. Whereas if if they had just taken the position of, if it's really rabies that we're concerned about, let's require a rabies titer. And it can only be done by a certain lab and we can verify those results. And if your dog is immune to rabies, then they're welcome into the United States. And then you have a nice, clear documentation of where the dogs have come from, that they're immune to rabies, and and you've solved for the problem. But they've actually created a much worse problem, in, in my personal opinion, by doing it this way and, and, and ignoring the experience of, of reputable rescues who have been through this and who could have offered solutions before they did this. Yeah, very good point. Well said, Jackie. Well said. I see that's the yin and yang. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> the Jackie and the Jeffrey. <laughs> clearly, clearly, this could be the Jackie and Jeffrey show. Uh, <laughs> all right, what's your last and fifth pillar? This is the one that, um, for me, this is what heals my soul. You know, I witnessed the atrocities: dogs being blowtorched, skinned alive, um, oh, separate gosh. pieces, pulling them out of cages, dead, um, holding them, and and telling them that it's okay. They're going to a better place. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the ones that I can't save are really what haunts you. But it's when you have a dog that's in virtually in pieces in many different ways. You treat them, rehabilitate them, and you get them into their homes. And they have been, were at one point ferocious or one point deathly sick. Getting them into the forever loving homes is so incredibly important to me in healing my soul. But also these dogs walk the streets as ambassadors for the movement. They all walk the streets and tell a story and every adopter shares their story. And every adopter comes to us, our foster comes to us and say, I cannot believe how many people don't know that this even exists. So, and Jackie has been fundamentally, um, you know, strategic in, in building our foster and adoptions team single-handedly taking it from little mama and papa and scaling it up. And this is incredibly important. Our, you know, what we say is you adopt one life, you save not one life, but two, because once we can get one dog into a home, we free up space to save another dog. 
Right. We can't continue to save dogs and not and just and just hoard them. We need exactly. to yeah. treat them, rehabilitate them and get them into homes. So that is probably to me next to uh, next to educational awareness, the most important part. And I'll let uh, Jackie take it from here as Jackie, again, fundamentally has taken the, the foundation to a higher level for fosters and adoption. Well, and I will, and I will say, and, and thank you for that, Jeff. On that note, we're not an adoption agency, right? So it's the fifth, it's the fifth uh, pillar of of our five pillars of success, mm-hmm. um, and it's a core component. And what Jeff says about them being each one of the dogs that we bring, and whether it's Canada, the UK, the United States, they're ambassadors for the movement. The movement is to end the dog meat trade. And so every dog that we're able to get into a home that walks the streets is a testament to the movement. So our goal is to save as many as possible, but we recognize one dog out of the dog meat trade doesn't doesn't solve the problem. It's it's a much bigger problem and it's a systemic problem that we're acting on. So um and with respect to fosters and adoptions, you know, our commitment to the dogs doesn't end once we find them, uh, you know, an adopter. We work very hard to match them to make sure it's successful, but we are always there. Adopters and fosters always have a direct line of communication with anybody. We are always the safety net till the very last breath of any and every one of our dogs that are that are here and outside of well both in China and also outside of China. So we we take that part and you know our our commitment to the dog lasts long after we get them outside of China or East Asia, I'm sorry. Wow, yes. As I said, very thorough approach to 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 rescue you guys are taking on. Yeah. That is so hard. That is so <laughs> heart moving. Thank you so much for you guys as a uh, work. Now, before we end the show, what quick advice do you guys have for organizations that may have to fold because of this ban? Can I take a second first before that? Before we end the show, what's really important is in order for No Dogs Left Pond to continue yeah. growing and scaling and becoming as sustainable as possible, we need more volunteers. We need more fosters. We need more adopters. We need donations. We need volunteers. It doesn't have to be a volunteer that you know comes to the shelter. You could do volunteer from home too, but we say it takes a village. And we need to grow the village. There's no one person that's going to end the dog meat trade. There's no, and we, we, again, even working with other rescues, um, but please give a shout out to everybody that, you know, our, our, our website is no dogs left behind.com. Visit our adoptions uh, page, visit our, our foster page. Um, engage. We cannot do this alone. We need to do this together. Um, I'll let Jackie answer the second part of that. And I will also say to listeners who want to learn more, we have um, lots of videos on our YouTube channel and our Instagram and Facebook. So we try to keep um, information on there as current as possible. And we have a lot of videos where you can actually see a dog from when Jeff has saved them all the way to when they end up in there for forever forever loving home and to see the transformation of these dogs is nothing short of remarkable. So um, with respect to other organizations, I always make myself available. Um, we have, we are in the process of moving. When the CDC made their announcement, we had 120 dogs that were mm-hmm. adopted out. Um, that had been adopted, but we were unable to move. Um, we're hoping to complete all of those dogs getting over um, into freedom in Canada, hopefully before the end of the year. And then, um, and then we're able to sort of offer 
you know, assistance to the other foundations. So we offer our knowledge and our experience, and then hopefully we'll be able to offer even more like a, like a location and, and to be able to help them with their, with their actual dogs. Right. Right. So again, we work together collaboratively. So many rescues have come together to try to, you know, tackle this whole thing with the CDC. And it's actually been a real blessing because whereas it used to be, you know, segregated groups working independently, we're all, we're all now working together uh, for a common mission for, you know, to help these dogs. That's the silver lining. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, maybe you guys will have a six pillar at some point soon. <laughs> yeah, helping other rescue agencies. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, we are out of time, and I really appreciate you two coming on today. And thanks to our show producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. Please, please do check out their website and social links on the show page. Share their YouTube videos and get updates on their work. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me at Beverly at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.